Welcome to Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Join us as we cover conservation updates, tips and tricks to campfire chats. Hey buddy, how's it going? Another day, another dollar. Yeah. What about, uh, what about you? Yeah, it's good. So, I had one of our listeners reach out to me and they said, we got to start calling you Jamie. Me? <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Do you, have you ever listened to the Rogan podcast? No, not much. Okay. So Rogan's sidekick is, is Jamie and he Googles everything. He says, you're going to have to start yelling at Steve. Hey, Jamie, Google this. Google that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he said, uh, Hamilton's uh, your Jamie. So That's um, awesome. Hey, hey, thanks, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So we're, <laughs> from here on forth, you'll be known as Jamie. Uh, that's funny. Uh, how was your Christmas? Santa good to you? Well, yeah, Santa's expensive, as you know, but uh, <laughs> the kid loved it. She's she's eight, so we're we're still enjoying that ride while we can. So everybody's everybody's doing well. Uh, things were shut down a little before Christmas for schools up here, but uh, pulled her out a little early. But safe than sorry, right? You can never know what's going on with that pandemic. So happy yeah. to see the other side of it for sure, just like everybody. But yeah, everything's good. What about you? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh... Yeah, no complaints. Got a little bit of time off, um, so that was that was always a bonus. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, uh, it's funny. So um, okay, so this is episode fifty now. Um, we'll do give a, we've been doing some giveaways. Let's do a giveaway on this one. So sure. um, Kylie talks about what she actually wanted to be for a living. So um, whoever <laughs> pick, uh, emails us with that, email us at communications at wildsheepsociety dot com with what um, Kylie as a little girl wanted to do as a living uh, and then she got smart and figured out it's much better to be a veterinarian so um we'll, we'll give <laughs> no away uh, <laughs> we'll give a casey brams t-shirt away those are pretty cool uh branded shirts sure. to the wild sheep society BC. Can, we'll give one can, of those away so can i enter this no you cannot oh well, okay <laughs> um well i guess if you get the answer right you maybe we'll consider oh, you but, I, uh, i'm out I'm yeah out. So, uh, cool. So we coming off episode 14. We sat down with Jesse young. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Midnight sun outfitters, great support of our wild sheep raffles, um, which there's still some tickets available there. Um, if after Christmas you need something, go check us out on uh, the website and get some tickets. Um, the cool thing with, uh, Jesse is we asked her to sit in and participate in our, um, event for March 13th march 12th and 13th our online event and uh that's been uh sealed up so she's agreed to do uh women hunting um basically talk and uh if anyone knows who tatum anode is check out tatum anode yeti um tatum and jesse have agreed to uh, Mm -hmm. come on for that so that's going to be an awesome addition i'm super excited about that and that just came out from a little bit of a conversation ask her what she's up to and she she jumped all over and that's that's going to be a lot of fun a lot of fun i think yeah, so hats off to Jesse and Tatum as well. Uh, just, you know, um, out there every day pushing, um, you know, uh, what we believe in and, and our way of life. So fantastic to get that kind of support from from both of them. Super, super uh, pumped about it. Oh, yeah. Some some great stories she had on that episode as well. And I, what I thought was kind of cool is we, we mentioned about caribou and people talking about, well, about a moose hunt. What about a moose hunt? And she says, well, we should discuss that. So that's a possibility for a WSR in the future. So fingers crossed for that one. Super, like you said, appreciate the support Midnight Sun has shown for, for the years and look forward to more. Especially that outfit, right? Because there are icons in the Yukon. Um, people know that if you're going to hunt with them, it's going to be a special experience. They're renowned worldwide for, you know, for that hunting experience, what they uh, offer there. So yeah, absolutely. Totally agree, buddy. Uh, okay. So episode 15, um, we have uh, Dr. Kylie Thacker on the show today. Um, Kylie is just new in her position. She's been on the job for three weeks. Uh, she's taking over from Dr. Helen Swansha as the, 
uh, Ministry of Forest Lands, National Resource Operations and Regional Development. Um, I get five bucks for saying that without screwing it up too badly. Uh, um, what 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 about if you did screw it up? Yeah, <laughs> I don't you know. Said you said regional and it's it's rural, but I'm not going to correct you. So five bucks coming my way. <laughs> uh, okay, Jamie. <laughs> and I didn't right, need to so Google that. I, I should have stuck with Flynn Road. Uh, anyway, uh, so Dr. Thacker is new as the provincial wildlife veterinarian for the Ministry of Flynn Road. Um, super excited to have her in that role. She's taking over from the position that Helen Swanch has held for a number of years. Helen's done a great job in that role. Um, Kylie's been very involved in the wild sheep community and she talks about that, how she got involved with that. She talks about the state of wild sheep in BC. Um, and, um, uh, so super pumped, um, to have Kylie on the show. And, uh, I think it's a great one. No, absolutely. But like Kyle said, pay attention to what she says she wants to be for a living before she became a veterinarian. You're going to win something cool. If you can email, email us with the correct answer. Sounds great. All right. Off to episode 15 with Dr. Kylie Thacker. If you looked up the words conservation superhero in the dictionary, you would see a picture of our friend Omer from Precision Optics, a tireless donor and supporter of all things wild sheep. Precision Optics, located in Quinell, British Columbia, truly stands alone in the high alpine. From optics to rifles to outdoor gear and a knowledge that cannot be surpassed, toss in that killer smile and you have a total conservation package. Precision Optics, we are truly thankful for the support you show us every step of the way. Find them online at precisionoptics.net or in Aroma Foods, located just off Highway 97 in Quinell, BC. Good morning, Kylie. How's things with you? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for coming on. Now, actually, let me back that up, um, Dr. <laughs> Thacker. So I met you through Helen, uh, Dr. Swansha. Um, I think it was in Sheep Show, but I, actually, I think I met you before that. I've known you for a while now, but uh, I know you as Kylie, but you're actually Dr. Thacker. So no disrespect <laughs> intended there. You certainly... Uh, I certainly respect where you're coming from, but on a personal level, I guess I know you as Kylie. So Dr. Thacker. Sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, Kylie, it is. I'm happy with that. <laughs> cool. So yeah, just to be clear, it looks like Kaylee, but for all our listeners, uh, it's <laughs> Kylie and that's a mistake people make all the time. I've done it. Uh, Helen's kicked my butt a few times like, no, it's Kylie. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know Helen. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. So uh, <laughs> yeah, lifelong struggles, but uh, I will educate you soon. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show today. Um, so I got a phone call from Chris Barker, our project specialist, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he said, hey, I've got some great news. Kylie has <laughs> been promoted to a new position. And um, and this is great news. So um, I'll let you jump into that um, about your promotion and what that involves and what that looks like. So uh, can you just talk a little bit about uh, the provincial wildlife uh, veterinarian role and, and uh, how you got into that role for us, Kylie? Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, several I'm very excited about. Um, so I'm currently overlapping with Helen, who's been in that position. You know, everyone knows Dr. Helen Schwancha, I'm sure she's been in that position for a long time and created the position. So she's the first wildlife vet for BC. And um, she's looking to retire and go on to new things. Um, I don't think she's leaving sheep world or <laughs> the wildlife health world, but uh, was is looking to move on from this role and so I applied and um, gained the position. So I uh, have officially started, this is my third week and uh, yeah, we'll be overlapping with Helen for a couple months to try and learn as much as I can, try and be a sponge and, and learn all the, the names and the ways of this position and um, then take it from there. Well, that's that's fantastic, Kylie, and I just want to congratulate you on this. This is, uh, you know, a very important role. Um, Helen's done a fantastic job across the province. We've had the opportunity to, through the Wild Sheep Society BC to work with her, and uh, you know, I, I'm really excited that we have uh, you coming into this role. Uh, I've seen your enthusiasm for wild sheep and for wildlife, so it's really exciting. So, for our listeners, so just to, I guess, um, you your role is you're the provincial wildlife veterinarian and you're working under the Ministry of Forest Lands, National Resource Operations and Rural Development. Is that, do I have that correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah. So within that ministry, we have a group that's the BC Wildlife Health Program, 
And so I will be the lead of, of that group, which will be myself and um, some three wildlife health biologists. Fantastic. Uh, so now I know a lot of our supporters to the wild sheep world know your name because you've been attached to a number of wild sheep projects. Um, but do you mind that just let's let's go back to the early days for you? And I think you grew up on the island. Is, isn't that right? Yep, that's correct. I grew up in the Couchin Valley in Duncan on the on Vancouver Island, um, and have been have had exposure to the wildlife world my whole life. My mom's a wildlife biologist and is involved in the forest industry, and so through her and her contacts, I've uh, I've been out and about and <laughs> seen a lot of the province. Um, been fortunate enough to be in beautiful wild places and uh, grow an interest of wildlife that way. That's fantastic. So um, <laughs> you grew up with this and you, you were around it. Uh, is, your, is your mom still active in the, um, she's still working as well as a biologist? She, okay. yes, she is, yeah, yeah. Very cool. So then was this something that you wanted to do like from an early age, you, you just seen yourself as a, a wildlife veterinarian or is this, did it evolve? Is this something that came about in high school? How did that, come to fruition, I guess? It definitely evolved. As I say, I've always had a passion for the outdoors and for animals and wildlife. Um, in high school, I was not interested in being a biologist or a vet. I actually wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to go fast. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started university in um, thinking I was going to go into engineering and somehow work that into being a pilot or to, you know, being involved in that world. Um, two years in, I realized that that was not what I wanted to do. <laughs> but when well, I think I always knew, but uh, so I transferred programs, went into biology, wildlife biology, um, completed a degree in marine biology at the University of Victoria and uh, have found my way through different channels, but uh, back to where I think I wanted to be when I was younger anyway. So took a little detour. Cool. So you did your, your marine biology degree in Victoria here, and then I think you did your master's or your veterinarian stuff through U of C, is that right? Or where did you finish that up at? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So after um, I graduated from the University of Victoria, I worked for a bit through with Environment Canada and um, actually the BC Wildlife Health Program on a project, ongoing project with river otters. Um, then I went to vet school in New Zealand and I lived there for just over nine years. So I went to vet school and then stayed on there in clinical practice where I was mostly working with large domestic animals, so sheep, uh, beef cattle, dairy cattle, and farm deer. And then I came back to Canada in 2018 officially to start a master's at the University of Calgary. That's fantastic. So that was one of the questions <laughs> I was going to ask you. There's a famous Corb Lund song called Veterinarian Blues and, uh, and, and Corb uh, is a, a aspiring or a veterinarian and his father tells him, he's like, well, the, the real money is in small boutique animals, right? So, um, so I guess that that's kind of the question there for you is uh, uh, how, how come the wildlife angle, how come Flynn Rowe and, um, how did that come about? Was that again, like inspired kind of from your upbringing with your, your mom or was that, uh, through other influences in your life or how did that come about with regards to, uh, wildlife veterinarian stuff? Partly my upbringing. Um, I have known Helen for quite a long time as well. And I actually started volunteering with the BC wildlife health program while I was doing my undergrad at UVic around, say 2007 maybe was when I started um, just doing little odd jobs you know kind of data management and um, I worked on a project collecting samples for chytrid fungus surveillance from amphibians so little tiny tiny pieces when I was in undergrad and then um, when after I graduated and was doing various jobs in Victoria before I went to vet school. I became more involved with the wildlife health program. I spent a lot of time with Helen. And so when I, even when I was starting vet school, I knew that's what I wanted to do was work with wildlife. And at that time I was more interested in becoming a pathologist. So looking at um, why and how 
animals died and what that means for animal health. Uh, I didn't end up going that route as a, it's still an interest, but it's not something I've specialized in. But definitely my exposure to Helen and my knowing Helen for a long time um, yeah, facilitated that that passion and uh, getting to where I am. Uh, it's pretty easy to get infectious around wildlife around <laughs> Helen, right? It's uh, it's incredible, and I always uh, I always love hearing her perspective, and and uh, well, I love how she keeps us so honest as well. But uh, <laughs> the one thing I love about her is um, you know the lens that she has through the biology angle and, and the science angle, um, you know, almost to a fault. Uh, she's so uh, particular about it. So uh, you know, yeah, what a great mentor in Helen, and and we're super glad that you're you're part of. You're leading our team basically for wildlife management in BC and uh, super excited about working with you and, and the great work that, that Flynn Rowe and, and you guys do for, for wildlife in BC. Uh, Thank you. So Kylie, can we jump into um, maybe some of your projects? I know, you know you've know you been involved with the, uh, the BAT project in BC and I think you worked with Kate Nelson on that one maybe. Um, and then I know you were quite involved with the caribou side of things as well. I think the Southern Penning Project um, yeah. And I don't know a whole bunch about it. I do know that Helen has been very involved with it. Um, and I, I don't even know to what extent, but I've I've been on a few calls where Helen's been talking about that. I've never had the chance to stay around and listen about it. But um, can you talk about some of the bigger projects you've been involved in? Specifically, we'll jump to the Region 6 stuff and the Stone Sheep stuff in a bit. But uh, if you want to talk to some of these other projects, I'd love to hear a little bit about the Caribou stuff, if you don't mind, and, and the Bat Project as well, if you're able to, Kylie. Yeah, for sure. So... Uh, in various roles uh, over the years, I've been involved with the BC Wildlife Health Program, as I say, and with um, that, this is, again, a more as a technician role for this, but uh, when we started monitoring for white nose syndrome in the province, um, I was involved with that. And what uh, where my role with that was, was more seeking out uh, bat colonies and locations of hibernacula for bats. And, um, setting up some of the, the early monitoring of that. Um, then uh, I've, I've worked with the Moose Health, Provincial Moose Health Research Team a bit, and um, part of that has been putting the health data they have collected over the duration of this project. Um, I can't remember the year they started, maybe 2012 or 2013. So they have a, a long um, data set now, a long history of, of capturing animals and collecting a full suite of data, which is very valuable to look at those trends over time. And I, I haven't been involved in looking at how that does relate to the landscape features that the biologists are interested in, but I have you know, looked at the trends in, in the health parameters over time. So that's been really interesting and that's ongoing. Um, with caribou, I was worked with the Revelstoke Rearing in the Wild Society out of Revelstoke for a bunch of years, three summers anyways, and that, and through the BC Wildlife Health Program that uh, they were collaborating on this project. So I was involved with capture of pregnant cows from the, the Southern Mountain caribou population that are transported to a maternity pen just outside of Revelstoke where they stay, they're captured around March, they stay there uh, while they're pregnant and for the calving period, and then several weeks, uh, a month to six weeks, I believe, um, after the calves are born. And that's to, to alleviate some predation pressure during that really vulnerable time when the calves are young and the, and the cows can't move much, you know, to, to avoid predators. But it also gives us the opportunity to, to feed them up and, and monitor the health of those animals while they're in captivity. And then they're released from that pen and go back to their alpine habitat. So I spent three summers with the pen and the team there uh, monitoring cow and calf health over the um, calving period. So that one, Kylie, that project itself. Now, there was stuff last year where there was only three or four caribou left in um, in the wild in, in southern BC, um, ex effectively extirpated, obviously. Um, did, did are they still capturing and releasing, or how does that work? Is that what, what's happening with that? Because I don't really understand what the latest update on that is with regards to caribou in the south. Yeah, so the Revelstoke pen is not 
operating right now. It, that was part of a five-year pilot project. So some data has come out of that and we're actually in the process of, of writing that all up and, and making a plan where to go from there. I haven't been involved with the other caribou populations that are now extirpated or believed to be extirpated. So I can't tell you what that, the status is there, but um, as far as the Revelstoke area, um, some yeah, some interesting information is is about to be revealed. <laughs> okay, cool. I I won't uh, force your hand on that. We'll we'll wait for the uh, for that um, project to come out itself for sure. So, um, okay. Now, can we just jump back with the moose health one? You mentioned that um, is that does that that part of the tick survey and stuff and the status there and and because um, there was a huge obviously issue with ticks and with moose as well. Was that part of that study as well in the data set? There is this provincial moose research team is definitely looking at tick burden. Um, there are, I believe, a couple separate projects looking at this. So the one the project that's um, collecting observer data, I don't think is feeding directly into the health information that we're using. But the moose research team is capturing and collaring live cows um, every year, and that's ongoing as well as calves. So that's animals that were born the previous spring. They're being captured at, I think it's approximately eight months old and collared. And so we're, the purpose of that is to look at causes of mortality and patterns of movement to assess, again, habitat features. And, you know, the health, the health is a very important piece, in my opinion, but um, it, uh, it's, it's more how it relates to these different there's five distinct study populations, so how it relates to the different populations, how they're separated and how they're using their landscape. So what other animals are present, what are the species and what forest and habitat types. Very cool, fantastic. Well, sounds like a great project. So pretty interesting studies there. Um, so it, can we jump into now, um, let's talk a little bit. So the Wild Sheep Society BC through uh, our Jurassic Classic fundraiser, as well as uh, a bunch of support from another other organization, supported the Region Six Cassiar Stone Sheep Project. Um, that's quite a comprehensive project, and I believe you were in on the ground level with that. You were you started year one with that, didn't you, Kylie? I did. Yeah. So I was very fortunate again to be around Helen and the Beast Wildlife Health Program when this was just a, a little idea, and at the time I was. Um, covering a backfill for Kate Nelson, who's the wildlife health biologist. Um, and we started this project, you know, thinking that no one has looked at the health of stone sheep for a while <laughs> in British Columbia, and no one has done it on a, on a scale that would involve multiple jurisdictions and multiple herds and populations in one study. So we went about proposing that and uh, we're able to piggyback onto some projects that were already happening to capture and collar use. And uh, so collect health data from that. And the, the project expanded to include other herds. And uh, we did some work with teams in Alaska that were wanting similar information for their doll sheep populations. And um, yeah, thanks to the Wild Sheep Society and the Wild Sheep Foundation as well that uh, this project was able to expand and is still ongoing. So we still have some questions to answer. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so now I believe Grace Ann's, um, she did her PhD around this study as well, didn't she as well, Kylie? She is working on a master's and she's almost done. And so Grace is looking at, I'll let her at some point probably explain her findings and uh, the details of her project, but she's looking at, she's using the caller data from the use that were collared in, as in the Cassiar mountain range at, you know in the Skeeter region and um, looking at habitat use and movement of those animals as well as timing of lambing and um, the timing and locations of lambing. Okay fantastic so um, Kylie can you for our listeners I, you know we get this a little bit where people are like well you're putting all this money into these studies and you know kind of where where does this go like that's fine to to put but you know there's obviously money's needed for habitat it's needed for disease there's all these different uh, vectors that are are problematic um so 
Um, can you give us, uh, you know, from a biological standpoint, a, kind of a rundown of why this is so important and why these health hurt assessments and these studies are so important to, uh, to before we go take the next step? Yeah, so the reason the study came about, the background is, is that communities in the north, uh, outfitter, the outfitter community particularly, approached us um, and want, and the, well, and the Taltan Guide and Outfitters Association, they, they really prompted the need for this research. So they were getting information from the, their members out on the landscape that, uh, that sheep numbers seem to be down. Um, and so they wanted to initiate sheep and actually other large ungulates as well. So they wanted to initiate a health sampling program. And that started in about 2016. This was, I was fortunate to tack onto this project. I wasn't involved in the, the startup. Um, and it, this was around caribou and sheep and, and moose. And so they initiated a hunter harvest sampling program to address the concerns that numbers may be declining and um, to see if it was health related. So they've been amazing at coordinating this sampling effort. And that's still ongoing as well um, as a surveillance tool to, to track these changes over time. And so that really alerted us to the fact that more information was needed and, and what were the other routes that we could go to collect this information. And as well as the, the biologists in the Skeena region that uh, through their inventory data were maybe noticing declining trends. So there was a bunch of input here from different sources saying, we may, we may have something going on um, that needs some further investigation. So with the opportunity to tack on to projects that were already capturing sheep for collaring to look at habitat use and specifically around some certain landscape features in the habitat or in the, sorry, in the Skeena region, um, we were able to collect these health samples and then have data from rams that were harvested in the fall and use that we could capture and, and sample them in the late winter and spring. Okay, uh, fantastic. So it's been a three-year study. I think we're in year three now. And um, Bill Jex, um, the provincial wild sheep and mountain goat specialist, he's been fantastic in sharing the information with us, gives us updates on it quite frequently, actually, certainly uh, um, uh, every six months or so. But um, without, uh, I know the findings aren't finalized and without giving it all away can you give us kind of an overview on what you're seeing and, and any trends that you may see or anything that you can share without you know letting the cat out of the bag too early yeah no certainly and um, I've been very lucky also to work with Bill Jex because he coordinated the early parts of this uh, study in the Skeena region and um, you know he he knows <laughs> what the trends are and he um, seems to have the insight into what's needed in that area for for data collection and sampling. And so um, through his collaring projects, we've we've collected data from animals in the Cassiar area for two consecutive years, um, expanded to uh, another area in Skeena region. And then last year we expanded to an area in the Peace region at this kind of southern extent of Stone Sheep Range in the province. So we have a, a good coverage of the the province of where stone sheep, the areas that stone sheep inhabit. And so from the, the first three years, so 2017, 2018, and 2019, uh, we collect or we collected samples from animals in the, in the Skeena region. And from that, we can see that there are, there are some trends. So we look at body condition. Um, in the ewes that we captured, we haven't seen any changes in body condition, but in the hunter harvested rams, we have so there's been a slight decreasing trend in in the condition they are in so the fatness and the muscling that's reported by the hunters collecting these samples whereas with the ewes I'm collecting all the samples and so it's one observer collecting all the data so that has to be considered but certainly with the numbers we're getting um, and the, the hunters telling us what they're seeing we do are seeing a, a decreasing trend and with that, we're also seeing a corresponding increasing trend in the stress hormones that they're expressing. So they, it seems to be linked again with only three years of data. It's hard to see where that pattern's going um, or you know, even 
how significant it is at this point, there's still, you know, statistically a, a chance that that could be random, but over the three years, it does seem to be a pattern. So there are, um, there are changes and that's something that we can keep monitoring. You know, we know from other studies in, in wild sheep and in other species that stress is an important indicator of how populations are gonna do long-term or, or how resilient they're going to be to changes in their landscape and in their habitat. So it's, um, an, it's an important metric for us to keep checking and uh, Okay, so that, and it's not an, inv there's no inventory studies. This is basically a herd health. Um, it's not saying numbers increase or decreasing other than anecdotal experience that is being experienced when you guys are out on the landscape there. Yes, exactly. So the, the regional biologist and the ministry does do uh, periodic inventories. And so they do keep track of that data. What I'm, the part, piece that I'm involved with is just the health. So I'm not relating this at this point to numbers. Okay. And that's something that hopefully when, when we have all the health data, we can sit down and, and look at these trends all together. So now that you look at the trends, but um, when we go look at next steps, is there like opportunities to look at um, ways to mitigate some of these things or to improve the herd health? Um, would that be part of your study? Is there recommendations that come from it or is it just simply findings at that point, Kylie? At this point, I'm just reporting and have reported findings but the whole, ideally, and what um, this was meant to be is to inform management decisions. So I think in, it was in 2016, a document was produced that was you know, expressing what needed to be done for thin horn conservation in the province. And one of the areas that was highlighted as, as missing was um, a health assessment to, to be able to make management decisions around health. And so that's the piece I'm working on and, and hope that this information can be used directly by the managers that get to make those decisions. Fantastic. And this was Region 6 exclusively. So there's not been, has there been a, a similar study done in Region 7 at all um, at any point re in the recent history, Kylie, or has it just been Region 6 for now? It has. We've expanded to Region 7. Last year, we captured uh, a handful of animals, uh, unfortunately, COVID, or sorry, when I say last year, I mean, I mean last winter is in the winter of 2019-2020, so still in this calendar year. Um, we unfortunately experienced <laughs> a global pandemic and uh, holdups because of that, so um, it did not get the full suite of samples and animals that we were planning, uh, but that is going to continue this coming winter. So... Yeah, just on that note, I won't spend a bunch of time on it, but the, the pandemic is affecting you guys' work in the field. Hey, you're, it's um, constricted on what you're able to do because of, um, you know, restrictions and government restrictions and that sort of stuff, I guess, hey? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So in, uh, in March, when the province was first, or I guess the end of February, when the province was first uh, down for COVID and figuring out what we needed to do about that, I was actually up north at the time and, and projects were put on hold until um, we figured out what we were gonna do. So this coming winter, we have a bit more of a plan and you know, having been through this COVID situation for most of the year, I think um, hopefully we have a, a plan to stay safe, but still be able to complete this work as it is essential, I think, <laughs> very important anyways, um, to get this information and um, relay it back to what we can do for wild populations. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. No, uh, no question there, in my opinion as well. <laughs> um, so, Kylie, one thing. Let's jump back. So, we were talking about some other species. Um, one of the hot topics in BC, and one thing that's scared the heck out of us, frankly, is this uh, chronic wasting disease issue. And I know uh, you uh, that falls under your purview uh, as the provincial veterinarian for wildlife. Um, are you able to give us a bit of an update? I know you're traveling with Kate, so I know Kate's the specialist <laughs> when it comes to CWD. So uh, you probably have a pretty uh, relevant update for us there that you, if you could share with our listeners. Yeah, for sure. And that's actually timely. So I'm currently on a CWD sampling trip for surveillance. So Kate and I uh, were in the Kootenai region uh, sampling animals. And that means that the heads that hunters submit, either voluntary 
voluntarily or through mandatory submission, depending on where they're hunting, um, are collected into freezers distributed at different areas in the region. And they all get transported to the regional office in Cranbrook and we collect samples from them. So it's quite a process and we got through a record number of heads in, in two days <laughs> and uh, to make it back to the coast before the weather turned too nasty. Um, but uh, so yeah, we have not found CWD in British Columbia in animals that have been harvested in British Columbia. It is in Alberta and Montana. And so we're really trying hard to keep track of what is going on in British Columbia and just make sure that we keep it that way by, you know, I think with animal, natural animal movement, it could potentially arrive in British Columbia at any time. But we could, what we can do is try and catch it early and um, before we're in an outbreak situation or a rapidly spreading situation and take management actions to protect our population. So I know you guys have been actually did a really good job uh, of communicating this with our hunting community, but uh, for our listeners, what can they do to support um, you guys in terms of being on the landscape and that sort of stuff when it comes to CWD? Yeah, that's a great question. So reporting any abnormal findings. So if people can educate themselves as to what CWD is, and there's lots of outreach material through the region and through different hunting and outdoors uh, organizations. And then just participating in submitting samples. So that's gonna be our, I believe our, our best tool for catching this is submitting samples from harvested animals, whether they're harvested in British Columbia or harvested in Alberta and transported into British Columbia. And there are rules about what you can bring into the province and where to submit those tissues. And so that just has to be closely adhered to you know, we don't want infective meat or tissues to be brought into British Columbia and left on the landscape because it, this is a disease that can, you know, the infective agent, the prions, can last in soil and then, um, you know, that causes a local problem and a potential for spread. So just, uh, yeah, sample submission, submission of heads and tracking that information is absolutely the best thing. Okay, sounds great. So I think I read it, correct, yeah, if you give me that latest information on it, <laughs> but it can literally last in the soil for years, can it? It's it's not like a, it's gone in a week or a month or it, it lasts for literally years, doesn't it? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and then depending on the climatic conditions, but it does persist for a very long time. Okay. So that's something we're aware of. Very good. Okay, so if somebody wants more information on CWD, just go to the Ministry of Flynn Row website, Google search on that. Is that the best resource for them on this? Yes, that is. And or talk to Kate Nelson. <laughs> She's happy to talk to anyone that uh, has questions or wants more information. I know there's concern right now about um, whether that, that meat is healthy to eat and what needs to be done about that. And that Kate can answer those kind of questions. She's very up on the, the matter. But um, just you know, that we're, and Kate particularly is doing her best to communicate this information so that we can collect the best samples and keep providing opportunity for hunters because we want everyone to be able to harvest what they're interested in and, and consume what they harvest. Okay, for sure. Yeah, we'll put uh, Kate's contact info in the show notes here so people can reach out for any anything they see or for any more information. And uh, I just, you know, I have to say hats off to, you know, the staff that have, been involved in this they've done a great job i think kate's done an excellent job uh sitting on fatat the wild sheep study bc we're getting constant updates um from uh the ministry on this and from kate specifically and helen so it's been a great resource for us and i think you guys have done a great job of getting the word out as well and working with other um, user groups in, in particular bcwf uh you guys have done a great job of communicating that so uh hats off to you guys on that so great well thank you i'll pass that on cool um so Let's let's t jump back to sheep here, Kylie. So, um, you know, you talked about sort of the overall health of thin horns in BC. Um, are you able to talk a little bit about you know what you're seeing? You know, where where what is the state of wild sheep in BC? Where, how does it look like on a holistic basis, both for bighorn and thin horn? 
and then you can dive down into you know the details if you want. But uh, overall, like how uh, you know, because there's some conjecture, right? People say, "Oh, the wild sheep are doing fine," and then other people are saying, "Well, you know, they say there's what I think sixteen thousand wild sheep in BC, but you know that number might not be exactly what is advertised. Um, it might not be quite as good as that." So overall, in your from your seat uh, as the provincial wildlife veterinarian, what is your perspective on the state of sheep in British Columbia right now? Yeah, and I can speak mostly to thin-horned sheep because that's where my past experience is. And I don't know absolute numbers, but I can say that we did not find any, in terms of health, uh, smoking gun that uh, I'm particularly worried about these these trends that we want to keep monitoring. But there was no, we did not find one significant disease or pathogen that seems to be affecting animals across their range. So that's was is a good finding. Um, there were there are some interesting pathogens that we did find, but they don't seem to be having population limiting effects in thin horn sheep at this time. Again, something to keep track of. Um, as far as big horn sheep, again, I don't know absolute numbers, uh, but they are certainly uh, experiencing some local declines. And I, I'm sure most of the people listening interested in sheep have heard of mycoplasma ovo pneumoniae, the respiratory pathogen that uh, has the potential to wipe out herds or at least cause significant decline. And so there are herds in southern British Columbia that do have mycoplasma ovo pneumoniae, I'll call it MOVI, and uh, we're working really hard to, to determine the status of these herds and come up with some management actions um, to to clear the pathogen from the herds and to allow these herds to persist on the landscape. So. Cool. So there's so much stuff there. Um, <laughs> so I guess one thing that's interesting and one thing that, uh, you know, I've heard you speak to this and Helen speak to it is that, uh, and, and certainly Peregrine uh, Wolf, Wolf um, with uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation as a veterinarian as well, is that, you know, Movi is obviously the, the one of the biggest offenders, if not by far the biggest offender, but also it's not, exclusively Movi that's killing our wild sheep as well. So there's other pathogens and other concerns. Um, so I guess it's very interesting and uh, I guess in positive that our thin horn sheep aren't having a, a major die off or they're not being uh, subjugated to anything. Uh, so that, I guess that's one of our concerns is making sure we keep that uh, healthy population well in the north uh but in the south so what, what are some of the other pathogens that are on your radar what are you guys worried about for our our bighorns down south that you guys are, are keeping an eye out for in terms of disease yeah so there's other pathogens that are part of the respiratory disease complex so moby doesn't act alone um there's other bacterial pathogens that are they can be already in the animals but until moby is introduced they don't tend to cause a problem by themselves, so it's the combination that's really the issue. So we're we're keeping track of that. Um, there's been some recent work looking at um, mites and the effects of mites on wild sheep. So these are are external parasites that are found in and around the the ears of animals, and they can have really negative effects on condition and survival of infected animals. Um, and then, and then other pathogens and diseases that are associated with um, sheep being in, in high density and in contact with non-wild sheep, so domestic sheep and goats and other um, domestic animals that uh, we're just monitoring and keeping track of spatially and uh, going, heading into another year of surveillance this winter. Okay, fantastic. So are you at the... Uh... Ministry of Eggs uh, office there in uh, Abbotsford right now? I am. Okay, so we'll be very careful about what we say when it comes to the domestic issue and in, in egg, uh, for sure. So I, yeah. obviously there's no surprise that uh, there's an interaction issue disease-wise with the wild and domestic sheep and obviously um, something that's been ongoing and we've been trying really hard to find a great solution. And I know the on the other side of the um, equation, ag's been working really hard to find solutions as well, but um, still this disease issue persists. So um, moving forward, you talked, you just mentioned briefly about um, some projects to try and um, 
rid animals of um, uh, Movi. And um, this is something, you know, there's been no smoking gun. There's not been no silver bullet that we've been able to use to try and solve this issue or, or, or you guys as regional biologists or bi as biologists and, and scientists. Um, and there's been a ton of work done initially down south. Dr. Besser did a lot of work. Dr. Swancha has been working on that. Um, is this something that you envision yourself being more involved in um, with this these, these treatment programs and trying to find uh, basically the cure for Movi or, or some way to mitigate that? Yeah, and there there has been some really interesting work, as you say, with, with Dr. Besser and his lab at uh, clearing or attempting to clear domestic sheep of Movi. And so then they cannot pass it on to the wild sheep population. So they successfully treated animals. It's a long treatment course and it doesn't seem to work in every animal. We're not sure why. Uh, we are really fortunate in Canada in that the antibiotic used is available. In the U.S. it is not. And uh, I, obviously they're allowed to use it for research purposes. And so we have been able to, to do some treatment trials on infected properties in British Columbia. And uh, that's ongoing as well. And there are other researchers that um, I, don't, I don't know what they're finding, but the little tiny bit that I do know from having been involved is showing signs of being quite successful. Um, what that means going forward, I'm not quite sure yet. You know, as I say, it's a, a very intensive process. Um, it takes, uh, farmers or, or people with sheep to to want to do this, <laughs> you know, it's voluntary and um, and to work with us to clear the herd and then to continue monitoring that their flocks areas um, remains Moby free. So we've been very lucky to work with producers in British Columbia that see this as an issue and want to be involved. You know, mycoplasma ovum pneumonia does not, not tend to cause disease or clinical signs in domestic sheep, but it can over time and um, have clinical effects to, in terms of decreased production, um, possibly weaker lambs and lambs, domestic lambs and kids can actually succumb to the disease too. So it's, well, not a major issue. It, it's, in my opinion, in the best interest of everyone involved to at least know the status of their flock. And, um, you know, if we can work together to come up with solutions that's even better yeah fantastic and just for our listeners uh the wild sheep society bc has uh, played a funding role for some of these studies that have been done um dr swanch has been involved and like kylie mentioned uh these studies are being done in bc because we have access to that drug that they don't have access down south so um thanks to our members for stepping up to help support um these studies and uh my understanding from speaking with helen kylie is that uh, there were some really positive outcomes, and but we needed more data. And then, uh, as luck would have it, the pandemic caused a big problem there. So we couldn't do a bunch of these tests for a number of um, trials for these trials that we normally would have. And so it kind of we probably would have had more substantial and more effective data had it not been for the pandemic. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So more trials were planned, but also the follow up, which is really important to see what the status of the flock is. You know however long after treatment that they maintain that Moby free status is um, yeah, we haven't been able to reach out, you know, to access properties and work with producers because of the pandemic and human safety concerns. So hopefully, well, that will be an ongoing thing and, and hopefully we have some more positive data come from that. Yeah. When we're, when, when we can. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's worth mentioning right now um, at this point is that there's a lot of, domestic producers that are very keen to, they, they care about the health herd of wildlife as well and, and wild sheep. And, and there's been a lot of uh, producers that step up. Um, you know, we get, we frequently will get emails from producers that, are, you know, they want to start up a new, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, a lambing operation or a small uh, operation in wild sheep habitat. They reach out to us on on what they need to do and, and how to be responsible. And then we have these producers, like you mentioned, that are working with us um, taking their own time, money, and effort to to make a difference, and really, there's not a huge financial benefit to them for it, but they care about wildlife. So, you know, 
some people think that we have a very combative relationship with the domestic uh, and the egg industry. And, and then that's not the case. We have some excellent producers that really have been keen to work with us. And, and uh, we're super grateful for that. So um, appreciate the work that you guys have done, you and Helen, and, and, um, and um, to make, the, make that difference and, and get those producers involved, educate them. Um, and like you said, I think a lot of this too is an educational perspective. If producers understand that there's a risk to wild sheep, we can, you know, put mitigating um, fences in to, to try and help the wild sheep populations as well. So. Absolutely. I, I agree. And um, having, I, you know, I grew up on a small sheep hobby farm. And so I um, am very much exposed to domestic sheep and, and uh, that industry. And I think, uh, you know, people just don't know, and especially if they're new to wild sheep habitat or to those areas, as you say, new producers. Um, I think there's just a lot of potential that we can all help each other out. Yeah, well said. And I think that that's one thing that I'm excited to hear that, that you grew up with that sort of mindset, because I know Helen comes from that mindset as well. And she she does such a fantastic job of talking to producers and trying to bridge that gap that uh, because it's an emotive issue, right? You know, these are private properties, they're private animals, um, and it costs people money. And and uh, and then, you know, to come in and tell them how they're going to run their farm, it doesn't work well, right? So you need a special person to have that dialogue. And I think Helen's done a great job of that. And, uh, you know, you've come from that perspective as well. You understand the talk and you can speak from a position of, uh, you know, having been there uh, when you, you approach these producers. So, yeah, I think it's fantastic, Kylie. Are there any Thank resources? You, yeah. Are there any resources out there a, a hobby farmer can turn to to find out more about a, like a being movi free or testing? Yeah, well, you know, and maybe Kyle and you can speak more to this, but I believe the Wild Sheep Society has some information about that, um, and would certainly be happy to speak. They can reach out to me or to the BC Wildlife Health Program, and we can definitely chat through things and options there. As I mentioned previously, you know, I um, worked with as a production animal vet in New Zealand. And so I'm happy to talk about animal production and, and herd health, flock health as well. And so I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's different sources there that um, people that are happy to pass on information and uh, see both sides. Awesome, Kylie. Thank you. Uh, so this might be um, kind of, uh, I know you're, you're as a, on the provincial level, you might be um, not specifically um, familiar with the, the details of it, but there was that recent uh, disease event in the Vassal Lake region. Um, there was some lambs that were indicating that they maybe were disease uh, carriers. And then uh, they were, I think they were uh, captured and, and they were tested. And yeah, they were, I believe, Moby positive. Are you able to talk a little bit about that? I, we haven't heard too much on that lately, but do you have any comments or any insight on that that you can share with us, Kylie? Yeah, you probably know about as much as I do at this point, being my third weekend. But um, yes, I know there were some positives in that herd. And I know that more surveillance is planned for this winter in that area specifically. And I think that'll give us a better idea of what proportion of the herds in Infected. We have some information about the strain in that herd, and and maybe that that'll lead us to ideas of where it came from in terms of managing future exposure. And uh, so, yeah, I think we just, well, to my knowledge, are in the process of collecting information and to make a plan for that herd coming up. Fantastic. Yeah, I, my understanding is that that's a cross-border herd. A lot of those sheep go back and forth. And just south of the line, they're having a disease event as well. So that's not really a surprise. And uh, it's actually, I've seen quite a bit of documentation in the media of all places um, about this, uh, about what's happening down south. I know mediators raised it to a level um, and certain, some of the local um, uh, media outlets are running it uh, as they did in the Penticton area as well. I know Castanet was doing quite a bit of information on that. And we've been talking to the media a little bit about it, trying to raise awareness around it so that people could report any uh, you know, infected animals and, and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And that's where, if, you know, hunters and other people on the, out on the landscape seeing abnormal things or things they're concerned about, if they can snap a photo or a quick video and, and let someone know, that's great. That's where we got get a lot of this early warning information. And so if that can continue from listeners out, that are out there, that is wonderful. That uh, sounds good, Kylie, for sure. And I think, uh, so... Bill Jex released that um, 
that app that came out, uh, I think it was just about eight months ago or something like that. And it was for wild sheep and mountain goats and for sightings and stuff like that for people in the backcountry. Um, kind of simple, similar to the moose tracking app that was released previously. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well afterwards. And we'll get that up so that people can um, download that and have that on their phone when they're in the backcountry for sure. So um, great, great idea. Cool. So uh, Kylie, now in terms of you, um, you're new to the role three weeks in, I'm going to put you <laughs> on the spot here. Um, you know, what, what do you see, you know, and the one thing I love about you being in this role is you've got a lifetime ahead of you. You're, you are, you know, we got somebody that's, um, uh, you know, a, a young individual and you have literally decades ahead of you to make a difference for wildlife in British Columbia. Um, you know, do you see anything that on your radar specifically that's a uh, high priority or um, have you set any objectives for yourself that you're able to share with us uh, for wildlife in BC that you are able to, to talk about today? Yeah, that is, that is a good question. And, uh, you know, I keep hearing about all these different projects that are, are ongoing or starting up this year and it's all very exciting. <laughs> I, I wish I could focus on any one area more just because there's so much information to be collected and and ways to go with a lot of what we are finding. Certainly caribou are a um, hot topic and there's lots of interest with caribou in the province and country and nationwide about caribou conservation. Um, there's a, a big push in the province to um, come up with a plan to, for for caribou for caribou conservation, and um, part of that is is essentially conservation breeding, um, to, to save populations as a as a last effort where other other efforts haven't worked, and it's it's not um, a sole answer. It's going to have to come in combination with other management tools. But uh, I think caribou is something that's going to take up a lot of my brain power in the next little while, at least learning about what's going on, um, because I, I don't have an idea at this point what what all the little pieces are around the province. So, um, and certainly wild sheep is a personal interest and uh, something that I'm excited to keep working on because I think we do, you know, we've are developing tools that can really make a difference now. Over the last couple of years, we've um, looked at what's worked and what we can do to actually recover or at least maintain the stability of, of wild sheep populations and um, so and to keep monitoring thin horned sheep in the north. Um, and the moose health, there's there's all the things, moose moose health and you know amphibian health and the, the bats and and white nose syndrome. So a lot of this is around specific diseases, but um, I know I think in the last couple of years the idea of of monitoring health as a an overall response to what an animal is experiencing through their the landscape and the other animals on their landscape and the human influence and as a measure of how they're going to survive in the future so not just looking at what diseases they have but as a um, health as a measure of how resilient they are going to be as we know that the human population is expanding and that our presence and the environment is increasing. If our wildlife populations are healthy, they're going to be more able to withstand that. And so I think if we can continue expanding on that idea and keeping track of it, then uh, we'll be able to catch things earlier. That's fantastic. Well, that's one of the things with, um, you know, you the, the great project you've done with the Cassiar Stone Sheep in Region 6, which expanded to 7 now. Um, you know, we were involved in the South with Region 3 and Region 5 health herd assessments. So, you know, we're getting the data and the information to move forward so we can make decisions on the landscape that, you know, to start improving the wildlife um, health and, and uh, hopefully the habitat and, and see those numbers start to grow again. So, um, uh, fantastic, Kylie, for sure. I'm super thankful for uh, you coming on the show today. Um, I, you know, as you were talking, I thought it was interesting here in Abbotsford at the... Um, uh, <laughs> And I believe that the uh, ag department, they have a new provincial veterinarian as well, as, if I'm not correct. So. Yes, yeah, that is correct. Um, and I, yes, everyone's trying to figure out our new roles and working together right now. So, um, yeah, we're, uh, we have some things going on that we get to collaborate on, which is kind of exciting. Well, that's fantastic, you know, and we're so thankful for the work that's been done ahead of, 
you know, kind of your generation with uh, Helen and Glenna. Um, uh, they've done a great job. And, and now there's, you know, you guys are coming on and we've got a, a, a new perspective and hopefully we can uh, really drive change for wildlife benefits in, in British Columbia moving forward. I'm very excited about that. And, and uh, you know, I, I was so, I was really happy when I heard that you were, uh, promoted to this position. I think you're going to do a fantastic job. I've seen the work you've done. Uh, you're an excellent communicator and you've done fantastic work and uh, just super excited to work with you through the Wild Sheep Society BC, Kylie. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited too. Cool. Looking forward to it. Steve, you got any last thoughts or questions for Kylie? No, it's been been good just back listening and, and, and taking it all <laughs> in. I can't speak on the veterinary side of things. So it, it's been cool. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks again, Kylie, and uh, want to wish you a uh, happy holidays, and thanks again for everything you do, and look forward to working with you in the future. Sounds good. Happy holidays, too. Thank you.